This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning and welcome to Ringgit and Cents, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanison. Real estate and property are popular investment assets, but they require a significant amount of capital, which can make it inaccessible for potential investors. However, buying property outright isn't the only way to get exposure to real estate. You can also buy REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts. These are companies that own and manage income-generating real estate. So instead of buying one particular property, you can get access to the rental from a diversified pool of property depending on the REIT that you look at. So to learn more about REITs and the key things to watch before investing in one, I'm speaking with Derek Tan, analyst with DBS Bank out of Singapore. Uh, Derek, welcome to Ringgit and Sense. Thank you, Roshan, for having me. So Derek, at the risk of oversimplification here, REITs are essentially massive landlords that generate revenue from the rental that tenants pay them, whether it's a retail outlet, office or hospital. Uh, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about REITs and the key factors that play into their ability to generate revenue. Okay, I think the REITs asset class is a very interesting asset class. And the main reason is because they are built to provide investors with a very stable dividend and most importantly for investors is largely tax efficient. So meaning that uh, as long as the REITs generate uh, and pay out most of the cash flow uh, by virtue of you know, the, the regulations that we have here, uh, and if they pay out 90% and above, uh, these, these dividends are net of tax or they don't incur taxes for selected jurisdiction. I think REITs are is something that you know, investors have been looking to buy and continuing looking to uh, invest in them over the past well, five to six years and you know, sectors is doing really well. Uh, the, their ability to generate revenue, it comes from a multifaceted kind of uh, drivers. One of it uh, is that they will derive uh, rent, a rental naturally and depending on the, the business cycle, sometimes uh, most of the time the REITs are able to uh, raise rents through either because the market has moved up or secondly, um, they do very active uh, asset management. So for example, like a retail landlord, uh, an investor who invests in a physical retail store, you know, will take into account the fact that there's leasing risk, there's potential vacancy, but you know, investing in a REIT, you get um, a collective kind of uh, diversified exposure. And these REITs you know, uh, manage the property for you. And when they find that sometimes uh, they, there is a need to refresh the tenant mix, and the view that maybe the particular tenant is not generating a, a maximum amount of uh, rental or sales for the mall, they come in, change the tenant, and do some renovation. So some of these things, uh, you know, have been able to, to drive the, the, the revenues and the rent dividends for the REITs, you know, consistently over the past couple of years. The other avenue is on acquisitions. Uh, I think compared to say, you know, fixed income products where the coupon is stable, uh, REITs, Typically, by virtue of the fact that they're looking to also continue to acquire, to grow, uh, they do acquire uh, new properties, assets to further diversify the earnings. In the meantime, dividend growth. So with regards to how you know, REITs you know, continue to look to, to, add, to add, add value and add to the you know, growth of their dividends, you know, we do see a lot of these avenues coming in uh, and driving dividends uh, in, in the next couple of years. Um, so with all that in mind then, Derek, what are the important financial metrics that investors should pay attention to when they're looking at different REITs available? Sure. 
I believe that investors shouldn't just look at REITs for their dividend yield. You probably have to look beyond the headline number. Um, firstly, I think different asset classes perform differently in different parts of the market cycle. So for example, if we are heading towards, say, for example, now or and off a recession into an accelerating uh, economic growth momentum uh, after the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we believe that investors will do better uh, apart from having you know, higher dividend growth, but also potentially capital return through investing in some of the more cyclical uh, uh, REITs like in the office, hospitality, uh, for example. In, and or conversely, and when we are approaching, say, a recession or economic slowdown, then it's potentially better to be looking at hospital and even retail, some retail rates by virtue of the fact that the earnings are very stable. So sometimes investors know you have to look beyond the big number. Uh, the other thing that we look out for is the fact that, you know, we're telling investors that uh, we should also look at the growth of the REIT. Uh, I do not want to buy something that's tactic. I would want to buy a REIT that can continue to deliver a sustainable growth in dividend. And the main reason is because uh, these are essentially, you know, these are the hybrid instruments. They are traded like equity and the equity markets is all about growth. And in, in terms of the REITs that we look at in Singapore, I think on average, we're looking at a 4 to 5% uh, compounded annual growth rate in terms of growth in dividends the next couple of years. And, you know, we believe that, you know, the, the share prices uh, will, will do well. Last and not least, uh, investing into a subsector, you've chosen the right subsector, you like dividend yield, you also need to consider who are the sponsor. Uh, this is very important because in Singapore, for example, uh, there are many different kinds of sponsors uh, that back the REITs. These are major shareholders. They hold between maybe 30 to 50% of the, of the REIT. And apart from a sponsor, you know, they have many, many benefits. One of it, if it's like, for example, if it's a maple tree REIT, uh, who is you know, part of the Temasek uh, group in Singapore, uh, typically traded at a significant premium. And, and Temasek, as a sponsor, continue to warehouse, build new assets for the REIT to continue to grow. So some of these things uh, investors you know, would have to consider uh, when investing in REITs. Those are some of the metrics and things to watch from the company side. But from a macroeconomic point of view, what are some of the key factors to watch? Because these are the kind of things that play an effect in the rental landscape in general. Sure. Uh, I think key macroeconomic factors are important. And especially when the market now is very driven by macro factors. And the, the thing that I think investors should be considering in the next you know, one to two years is the fact that, one, I think economic growth is certainly there. Uh, and on a year-on-year -year basis, you know, certainly it's, I mean, Singapore economy, it's going to be up about six to seven percent. Uh, that is a very strong number, but it's also, we need to consider whether, at what level are we back to pre-COVID level? Because we are off a low base, the important thing is to consider whether, what is a more sustainable growth uh, kind of rate that people should be looking at for, looking forward to. Second thing to look out for is inflation. I think inflation is expected to increase, uh, especially when, um, we are looking at better economic prospects. Um, there's more demand chasing chasing a selected group of supply, and I think that is expected to to rear its ugly head in the next, I mean, six to nine months uh, kind of horizon. But inflation may not be bad, especially when inflation backed by economic growth. Generally, what we've seen historically is uh, a positive catalyst for businesses uh, to, to landlords to raise rents because businesses are you know, generating better cash flows. Um, their, their revenues are also increasing. So I think infl inflation is good. 
uh, if it is supported by, by economic growth. And in fact, uh, we did an analysis uh, for the REITs in general uh, in Singapore. We find that there's a positive correlation between inflation, higher inflation rate and higher stock prices. So as we all know, you know real estate is a inflation hedge. Naturally, uh, in, investors uh, will get the kind of uh, re-rating if they invest in in the right sectors, in, especially when you are going to a more robust economic uh, environment in the next six to nine months. Last and not least, you know, with higher growth, higher inflation rate, um, it's going to be higher interest costs. Uh, we are projecting interest costs to rise marginally on average between 25 bips to 30 bips a year, all the way up to 20, end of 2022. Uh, so that's important. Uh, something to, to watch out for is because a lot of investors say that in, interest rates are negative for REITs. It is negative only when the REITs can't grow their revenues. So I would say that back to my earlier uh, thoughts about you know, investing in growth and dividends, if the growth in dividends can more than compensate the growth in, say, interest costs that you know, they have to pay uh, for their banks, then I think the REITs will continue to do very well. Right, because essentially REITs do borrow money in order to buy the properties and acquire and things like that. So interest rates play a big role in their cost base as well. So things like watching the Fed uh, rate hikes, uh, Derek, would that be a key thing to keep in mind uh, as we look forward? Naturally, I think uh, Fed, um, their own posturing about interest rates is important. And whether they start, either st I think the share prices will react uh, way beyond uh, when they start to raise rates. You know, we are projecting them to do uh, one hike potentially in 2023. Uh, and I think the sector would more or less, you know, start to price that in uh, way ahead of, of time. I think the most recent posturing from the Fed is that they are, you know, cautioning the market that you no know, low interest rates may not last forever. And I think based on what we see in stock markets and prices for the region, you know, fairly stable and, and telling us that, you no know, markets are already prepared for that. Uh, in the longer term, you know, higher interest rates, you know, will naturally seep into uh, the the REITs' uh, interest costs, and that will be a dampener to dividends. So that's why, you know, we need to be able to, you know, uh, invest in, in REITs that have the pricing power, the ability to raise rents in this environment, and and that I think we believe that in our perspective, in this part of the cycle, the office and selectively in hospitality are the ones that uh, we are fairly uh, positive on. So the thing you mentioned there is the uh, the ability for REITs to increase rental costs, right? So what is the metric that we need to be looking at there? Is it rental reversion or tenancy agreements? Uh, what should we be watching there? Okay, so on the, rent, on the, on the revenue side, I think uh, naturally we look at you know, some of the key metrics, like we call it the weighted average lease expiry or will. So a short wheel means that a lot of the leases are for renewal. Uh, and a long wheel means that you have a lot of income visibility. So you're quite certain that your income is there, provided the tenants do not go bankrupt. So for a read that has short wheel in this particular part of the cycle, uh, when you know things are starting to warm up, economic environment starting to warm up, I think it's great. Especially when you know when some of these rental negotiations, businesses, you know, are feeling better especially when you know, uh, they are expecting to see uh, better business activities uh, in the next uh, couple of quarters. On the interest rates front, we have another terminology. It's called the weighted average debt expiry. In real estate term, we call it WADE or W-A-D-E for short. Uh, the weighted average lease expiry you know, measures how often do the REIT will have to renew the, their loans. And in Singapore, most of the rate is about three to four years. 
telling us that on average the REITs uh, when it, the REITs will have to renew about maybe a third or less of their loans per year. Uh, that is that is good in a sense that there's no real refinancing risk. And if any, the interest rates, if, if it do rise, I mean, it does seep into the system, uh, the impact is actually fairly marginal. And it will take maybe three to four years before the full impact of a 1% increase will have an impact on, on, on distributions or dividends. So at this point in time, you know, based on our estimates, uh, REIT managers, you know, they, they see this coming. They've done their best uh, in terms of you know, um, capturing the low interest rate environment, uh, lengthening their debt expiry, and at, at the same time, hedging as much of their interest costs into fixed-rated debt. So based on an average, about 75% of the Singapore REITs uh, interest rates are already fixed into fixed costs. So even if interest rate rise, the impact will be delayed. I'm not saying that there will not be an impact, but at least it's delayed. And run, once revenue can run faster, uh, run higher in the immediate term, the impact of interest rates you know, will not be seen in a big way on distributions. Uh, Derek, a REIT's profitability seems to be about financial engineering and yield management. And a key element here is in this equation is, of course, cost, right? Um, what are the key parts of a REIT cost base? Okay, I think if you look at the REITs in general, um, you know, there, there are many, many different kind of contracts. But let's look at a very typical uh, REIT earnings uh, profile. Revenues, they collect rent. Uh, they will pay uh, generally you know, costs uh, to operate the assets, uh, property taxes. That roughly, it's about 20% of revenues. And then you get uh, what we call uh, very often as net operating income or you know, uh, income that is net of operating costs. The next big cost item that the REIT have to incur is the manager fees, which roughly equates to about you know, 8 to 10% of revenue, and then interest costs, which is the larger chunk of the, the cost base, where um, depending on the leverage ratio, it may, it may range uh, between 30 20 to 30% of, of, uh, of, let's say, revenues. And then I think these are key moving parts that you know, we see uh, that, that may impact dividends uh, in, in the longer term. Uh, based on our estimates, you know, we see that generally operating costs are quite stable. And the main reason is because uh, the earnings uh, or the costs that it, they incur to operate assets generally are tied on long-term contracts. For example, maintenance, security, uh, even property taxes is very visible uh, kind of a cost that is dependent on revenue. So these numbers don't really change too much. The key things to watch out for, similarly also, uh, is on the asset management fee or the rate manager fee, which is packed to either a percentage of the revenues or a percentage of uh, tax base. So these are things that are very visible that every year, you know, as long as you know, the REIT manages the cost well, manages the revenue, re revenue risk well, generally these are the key things that, that, you know, that will not move too much. The key thing is to look at interest rates. I think it also depends on the interest rate environment. Um, we are no longer looking at a lower for longer situation. Uh, next two to three years, you know, interest rate will rise. Uh, it's about you know, the manager ability to, to navigate this interest rate increase, uh, reduce the impact or delay the impact as much as they can, and at the same time, you know, increasing revenue uh, to negate the impact of this interest rate rise. So with that in mind, Derek, typically a sign of a good REIT manager is one that optimizes debt uh, well by taking advantage of lower rates, but also by spreading it over time. Um, what does good debt management look like for REITs and why is it so important? 
Okay, I think it's important. The main reason is because I firstly the regulations in Singapore uh, limits the leverage ratio from going too high. So we are now limited by 50%. So it tells us that uh, the manager uh, will not you know, overgear the rate to the point where you know debt is more than equity and and even in 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 times where say the banks were to to pull on loans in the unforeseen circumstance, uh, the REITs will still be you know well capitalized. I feel that something that uh, encompasses good management is all about consistency. Uh, if let's say you know most of the REITs in Singapore uh, generally have a gearing ratio, which is debt to asset uh, ratio ranging between 35 to 40 percent, and that's a 10 percent kind of uh, um, headroom before they reach the leverage cap or they reach on average uh, leverage kind of caps that you no know, loans put in place for the sector. So very, very conservative in nature. But I will look one step further. How have their leverage ratio uh, moved or maintained at a certain level uh, over time? And I think it's a, a, a hallmark of a good read is to be able to keep it consistent, be it at 35, 36, something that's below 40 across interest rate cycle. It tells you that the manager is focused on operations rather than than financials. So, so that is something I feel that, uh, uh, you know, just we, we are not looking at, at one point in time, but we also need to look across time to, to get a sense on how the manager manages the debt. Apart from that, you know, we all know that um, most of the REITs do not renew all the debt every year, but uh, as long as, you know, as the longer the weighted average debt expiry is even better especially when you know we are at a point where interest rates are uh, anchored at a very low level and whatever we are looking in the next two, three years is on the way up. So I think uh, a good hallmark of a rate manager is consistency in the way they manage the debt, a long weighted average debt expiry. And maybe I would add another point is the ability for them to spread their, their concentration in terms of their relationship with banks or maybe even tap the MTN market to diversify cost of capital in the debt space. Now, another key indicator of a good REIT manager is one that is, I think you mentioned this earlier as well, constantly looking for accretive assets to grow. But acquisitions can also turn awry if not done well. Uh, what should potential investors be watching here then? Okay, uh, with regards to acquisitions, you know, there, there is always the risk uh, that you know asset managers are just too... Uh, you know, happy to trigger on an acquisition. So I think it's also similarly, investors would have to look at their track record, look at the consistency in terms of the investment mandate, uh, and whether you know management historically has delivered or uh, uh, delivered above initial guidance. So I think uh, acquisitions will continue to feature strongly, but naturally at this point in time, there's also some questions that we're asking at this point of the interest rate cycle, you know, are we getting uh, the bank for a bump at this point in time? Especially when, for example, uh, we've seen cap rates uh, in the data center space, for example, two, three years transacting at 7%. The last transaction we saw for several years was 5%. So the key question to ask is, can data center deals continue to compress to fall? So it's something that you know we, we, we are still grappling with uh, to get with a good answer. But at this point in time, you know we know that uh, by virtue of the fact that there's a lot of capital chasing income and stability of income, uh, it's it's a good strategy to be ahead of the curve and you know, acquiring good freehold assets, uh, diversify the tenant base, a long weighted average lease expiry preferred. And if and in, at this point of time, I feel 
that uh, if in if the REITs, especially in the logistic and data center space, can continue to grow uh, in this space will be much better, especially when we are looking at you know, an enormous amount of capital uh, chasing for assets. So I would say selected selectively, uh, we, ex we are expecting you know, capitalists to continue to compress in selected sectors, um, but and we be more cautious, for example, in retail, especially when, you know, with COVID-19, you know, uh, driving a pivot towards more online uh, kind of spend. The question is, can retail capital values maintain at this current level? So very positive, depending on the sectors, logistics, data centers, then when it's retail, our question more. So watch the sector, also watch the price, right? Because with the low interest rates, we've seen more money going into equity markets, looking for returns. And that's why, as you noted earlier, we're seeing those yields uh, start to shrink in some areas. Um, uh, before we move on from here, uh, Derek, I'm curious though, why is asset accretion such an important factor for REITs? Okay, I think for accretion, I think it's very important, especially when investors, uh, you know, they want immediate growth in dividends. And the main reason is because uh, REITs, you know, when they do an acquisition, they have to tap, tap either the debt market or the equity market for uh, new sources of capital. And the main reason is because they pay out all their cash flow and there's very little retained earnings in the REIT itself. So for investors, when, you know, when I've been asked for more capital to inject into the REIT, naturally I want to know whether my dividends is growing as a result of this new acquisition. And, and that has always been the safeguard that investors have in place to ensure that, you know, when REIT managers present a deal on the table, uh, everybody is better off. Uh, there are very mi minimal cases or very little cases of, you know, a dilution on the onset. And the main reason is because unless you're buying at a very, very good uh, valuation or, or, for example, it's a, it's a distressed deal and you, you do, do buy the asset at half its original price, then I think investors are okay. But naturally, I would say, you know, 80, 90% of deals that we see are largely stable, income-producing uh, opportunities. So that's why investors has gravitated towards the fact that you want me more to inject more equity? No, please show me higher dividends. Ultimately, Derek, when it comes to the valuation of a REIT, how do we assess if it's cheap, expensive, or fairly valued? Okay, this is a tough question. Actually, <laughs> I would say that <laughs> I would say that for REITs in general, uh, a fair value would be somewhat a ten to twenty percent above book. Uh, its own NAV, and the main reasons because uh, compared to its real estate uh, asset class, by investors you know acquiring them on their own, they give you diversity. They give you a very tax efficient cash flow. So fair value uh, is roughly certainly at a premium. Then it depends. Uh, on what in investors look at in terms of how we view um, potential NAV increase, dividend increase, or how, uh, say, unique the particular asset is. So I would like to, to address you know, each individual point. So for example, healthcare in Singapore, there's only one REIT uh, listed here, uh, Parkway Line. It's trading at you know, more than two times its book value, but by virtue of the fact that uh, you know, the earnings growth is very stable, in Singapore, you cannot find any more hospitals left uh, to, to in the private space. And also for the particular REIT, you know, they do have a very strong pipeline of assets that they could potentially buy from its sponsor, IHH. So some of these points you know, have driven valuations beyond, say, the price to uh, earning, a price to book multiple that you know, typically investors look at. Uh, I would say that uh, to look at 
uh, reads, you know, we look at its use spread uh, as a, a, a better metric to look at. And, and the use spread will measures the difference between the headline yield and then against the 10-year bond. That will give you a roughly a sense of whether the REITs is fairly valued. Let me compare against time versus its own historical trade range. And then if there are reasons, for example, to consider that now they should trade at a premium, for example, accelerating growth, an asset class that's not has become even more unique. For example, post-COVID, you know, we think that data centers and logistics will be more sought after. Or, or that, that will drive some of the, the, the premiums to NAV and a tighter use spread versus the 10-year. Now, Derek, REITs are typically looked at for their yields or the dividends, as we've mentioned. Um, but is there a case to look at it for long-term capital gains as well? Okay, so for a lot of investors in Singapore, you know, like it for this yield, but uh, when they tell me that they're not interested in capital gains, I would say most of the time, most of them <laughs> are not telling me the truth. But capital gains is important. And capital gains is driven by a few things. One, I think earnings growth, something that is driven by earnings. Uh, I would say that uh, will support you no know, higher valuations in the longer term. Um, going forward, it's not going to be easy. It's unlike the past you know, five or six years where we saw on average a you know, 10 to 12% CAGR in total returns, dividends and capital gains for the sector. Going forward, by virtue of the fact that you know, we're facing with higher interest rates, uh, it's important then to be very selective in terms of the picks. You know, in our estimates, the industrial logistics data center subsector is giving you on average a seven to eight uh, percent KGAN growth and driven by acquisitions, higher rents. So that, to me, uh, will do continue to see higher capital gains uh, going forward compared to say, for example, something that's very uh, stable or very flattish growth, like uh, a retail that's focused on, say, shopping in Orchard, that we believe that in the longer time, there'll be more headwinds than tailwinds. So, so it's important to be selective. Uh, and uh, most, and most, for most investors, you know, look beyond the headline yield, look for growth. And when we talk about yields there, I mean, it's important to watch for growth, Derek, but when we talk about yields, which is something uh, investors pay attention to a lot when it comes to uh, REITs, there are some, um, there is always this concern that we might fall into a value trap or when it becomes a dividend, the dividend mm. value trap, right? What are some red flags, key ones to <laughs> yeah. watch out for? Because we don't want to be stuck with something that is, the yield is artificially high because the stock price has fallen. Sure. Okay. Um, a very seasoned investor, you know, he, he shared you know, this particular view about value trap. And I think what he said, I, I felt that like what, what he said uh, means a lot and it makes a lot of sense is, you know, if you're paid a yield of about 7 to 8%, uh, we don't think it's a value trap because by virtue of them holding on to the stock every year, your cost, you know, gets, you know, weighted down by, you know, the dividend yield over time. And you, if you hold in a longer term, your costs actually come down fairly significantly. So I would say that a, a yield trap uh, or, or a value trap would be something that pays you a 2 to 3% dividend and you know it remains at 2 to 3% dividend in the long term. But I would say that there are certainly red flags to look out for. Uh, that can only be seen through, say for example, deals that management bring to the table. Uh, is it accretive? It is, it is not only earnings accretive, but is it value accretive? Uh, does it make sense from a strategy point of view? And most of the time also look at uh, sponsor. So you know, in Singapore, there are different kind of sponsors. Some 
uh, known to be very uh, very minority friendly, and some may be you know, less uh, uh, friendly to minorities in terms of the deals that they bring to the table, the kind of capital markets action that they do. So it's so important to also consider uh, some of these uh, additional points when you look at REITs. As we wrap up, maybe you could give us a summary of the key elements that make a good REIT. Okay, I think a good REIT to me is not about the dividend yield, it's about the ability to generate a sustainable growth in a dividend yield. Uh, I will look at its own historical track record. So, uh, no management have to show consistency in terms of their guidance towards acquisitions, but also the way they manage costs and gearing. Uh, we know that you know low interest rates you know is a perfect uh, kind of fuel for you know, REITs to gear up to buy more and drive dividend higher. But we're not seeing that in a big way in most of the REITs that we list uh, that is listed in Singapore. So I think historical track record with regards to deals that they do and also the way they manage the asset is important. Last and not least, you know, investors also have to consider the kind of asset class uh, that you know, that the REITs look at. Some have tailwinds like logistics and data centers, for example. Uh, office, depending on the type of office, if it's in CBD, we think it's fine. Um, but then then on, on the other, conversely, you know, we'll be cautious on retail by virtue of how, you know, e-commerce will have a natural overhang into their operational performance in the longer term. So that's how I would say investors, you know, look beyond that, that yield number, but also understand the story, understand their history, and then get a good sense on how they manage their risk for you. So that's that's why I feel are key elements that make a good read. Derek, on that note, thank you so much for your time today. I really wish we had more time to deep dive because there are so many things that we could have really focused on a little bit more. But that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you again for your time. All right. Thank you for having me. I was speaking with Derek Tan, analyst with DBS Bank out of Singapore, and you've been listening to Ring It and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanesan for BFM 89.9. Ring It and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.